Today's episode is brought to you by Anchorfish Printing. Hey, are you in a band? Do you run a label? Or maybe you just want to make some merch for fun. You should hit up Anchorfish Printing. They've been taking care of bands for over 15 years. I first met the owner, Michael, when my band Touche Amore started, and he was our go-to guy. You can visit what they have to offer over at anchorfishprinting.com. You can hit them up for all your merch needs, whether it's screen printing, embroidery, or maybe you just need some stickers. Mention the first ever podcast and get 10% off your order. Welcome to the first ever podcast. I am your host, Jeremy Bolm. If this is your first time here, this is a show where I interview artists of all kinds about the first experiences in their art form that led them to where they are today. This is episode 111, and my guest this week is Bart Balboa of the band Birds and Row. Birds and Row have an incredible new album coming out this Friday. It's called Gris Klein. And uh, I'm just, uh, it's their best record. I'm going to say it. It's their best record. I have been a fan of Birds and Row since I first heard them back over 10 years ago when they first kind of really started to, uh, to kick off. And I've had the absolute joy and pleasure of touring with them a couple times and really just knowing Bart. Uh, all these years and having this conversation was real was just a lot of fun he's uh he's such a great guy so i also want to point out there that hey there's a bonus episode available right now where bart answered questions that were submitted by subscribers you can hear that by going over to patreon.com slash the first ever patreon to get access to that and you'll be able to catch up on all the past bonus episodes that we've had been doing this a long time now it's a lot of fun help support the show means the world. Also, if you haven't subscribed to the show on Apple or Spotify or wherever you're listening to this, please do so. Leaving a positive rating and review, all of those things help oh so much. Um, What else is up? Oh, today I leave for tour. I'm literally boarding an airplane later to fly to the UK to start a tour with Coheed and Cambria and Thrice. Uh, We are, the first show is in Bristol and I believe it's sold out. But if you're in the UK or Europe, please check the dates over at toucheamore.com slash tour to see where we're all going. Some of the shows are sold out, like I mentioned. Uh, It looks like uh, Glasgow is sold out, but we're also playing Birmingham, uh, London, Manchester, uh, Nottingham, Antwerp, Tilburg, Berlin, Wiesbaden, Bologna, uh, Munich and Cologne. So yeah, we're, we're, we're all over the place. Uh, I hope to see you out there. We fly from there directly to the U S to, uh, to New Jersey where we're starting an entire tour with the men singers and screaming females. So I hope to see you out there, but I won't take up any more of your time. Here's my conversation with Bart Balboa. What's up, Bart? How are you? I'm good. I'm good. I was just saying, I. Uh... Like life feels way better now uh, that I have some perspectives <laughs> that I can project myself and be like, oh, I'm going to go back on tour and do what I love soon. 
which is great, yeah. you know. I forget have has birds played yet in the mm, last uh, it's like we played a couple of shows here and there, but just uh I mean, you know you know what it is to be always on tour. It becomes like some kind of like routine or something that is very important for your mental health. And uh sure. And so doing just a couple of shows is not going to do the work, really. <laughs> right. So uh, we haven't toured in like two and a half years, which is a long time, really. So. A long time. Yeah. yeah. Oh, it's I, I, How excited are you? I'm super excited and super nervous, nervous too, because it's like, you know, it's, it's, it's kind of this weird thing where you question everything because you're like... Um, do I still want to do this? Uh, do uh, do you still have? Uh, do I still have you know the mindset to do this and the 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 body to do this too? <laughs> because I've been sitting on my ass for two and a half years now. So <laughs> yeah, so, so no, yeah, it's, I, it's, um, yeah, stressful, but I'm super looking forward to it. So. Oh, I get it. I I completely get it. That that's exactly the way I felt when we had our first tour back. Where I was like, that first time, even on stage, because you, I mean, you mentioned you've played shows, but even that mm. first, what, when you first got back on stage that first time, did you have those thoughts too? Where you're like, I, I hope I still like this. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And I, you know, usually on stage we 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 talk about the lyrics and like what we what we mean and what we want to, what kind of message we want to have. And on this specific show, like the very first one after all the. Uh, confinements and everything nothing else uh, came to my mind than just say tell people how i felt uh, like how you know i was like you know like five minutes before coming on stage i didn't know if i wanted to do this again and how i felt about playing music again and uh and now that i'm here i know this is where i belong really and this is i know that nothing has changed but but nothing was sure before you know stepping on stage again in front of people yeah. And, and well, what it really also does is it kind of puts everything into perspective. Mm. Um, and it also, you know, for better or worse, sometimes makes you realize that the things that you thought were so important in retrospect, after all of, you know, these last couple of really hard years, you're like, oh, shit, am I even like, is it even worth me to complain or like talk about my personal <laughs> problems when everyone is going through something so terrible? Yeah. Like, it really it 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 sometimes heart becomes even harder to feel like you can express yourself the same way. Yeah, definitely. And um, yeah, you know, it's, it's just maybe, maybe what you what you say is probably maybe the same feeling than when you play in a very like, you know, very different country with like um, where the poverty is really like next level than what we know in our Western countries. And you're like, I'm going to talk about my white problems yes. <laughs> and, uh, yeah. and Western country problems. But those people, they go through way worse than what i live like that, that's i mean that's how i felt for example when we played in cuba where it was very weird to you know speak about how i feel as like a french person right in like and you, you're saying this to people who live in a dictatorship and uh and you know it feels really you're, you're like off a, a lot yeah <laughs> you know it's like you're not really talking about things that you should be talking about in front of those people. It's kind of it's kind of the same thing where you're like, oh, yeah, I'm an artist and I, I went through a lot of shit during COVID and stuff, but some people may have experienced like way worse things than what I did, you know? So. Right, yeah. It's like everybody lost their job. Everybody, yeah. you know, it's like all of all yeah. of these sorts of things. But um, Yeah, I can't well, imagine I'm... in the US, really. Some oh, well, of us I'm... have been like a nightmare. <laughs> yeah, was... Uh... It was. It made everyone really put their life into perspective, as as we're saying. You know, it really. Uh, I, you know, for when it, when it comes at least to I, I, you know, to speak on musicians, I felt like, 
um, the people I felt the worst for were all the bands or artists, singers that were just starting to percolate. You know, like mm. maybe they had just put out their first demo or record mm. and like all of the hype was there and then they couldn't play a show. It's like, yeah. especially with punk and hardcore where I feel like, you know, the turnover of people's interest is pretty quickly, you know, mm. where it's like there's a hype band, but if you can't, <clears throat> continue the hype like there's another hype band that's going to come around the corner in two weeks yeah. so yeah it, I, I felt pretty 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 bad for a lot of those bands um but anyway let's let's <laughs> let's, let's let's talk let's let's talk about uh more exciting subjects like the fact yeah. that um you have a new record coming out soon we're going to get to that of course um sure i'm you know for for listeners at home um bart has the most impressive um visual streaming uh, uh setup i've seen in a long time i saw you at hellfest and you were telling me and you were there because of streaming and stuff like that so talk yeah. to, i mean i don't know much about this aspect of your life are you you're like uh, your twitch stuff pretty yeah, often these i started streaming like a year ago because you know not touring really like uh left a big hole in my life and um and and it was hard for me to just you know feel like i was um complete uh like uh but because i've always been very like um you know i always need to do something and uh and and i'm always like active um whatever uh i'm, I'm painting I'm, I'm i'm playing music whatever but like i don't know how you feel when you when you record something but usually when when we go through the recording process after that i feel a huge void artistically mm. it's hard for me to you know to just take a guitar and and play around and like, try to compose something new or whatever it's been very hard after after recording the new record that like i could i couldn't really like just you know play music uh, in in my house also because of all you know the ambience and uh, like all the whole yeah. thing where you don't know if you're going to tour again or whatever and and so um, i started playing video games way more because i've always been into video games and um, and i started like watching you know twitch uh way more and and i really got into that and uh, also in the you know the community aspect of it because uh you know as a band you're on social medias all the time as a tattoo artist you're on social medias all the, all the time but it's really like just a one-way thing where yeah. like people can put comments but it's just you know it's not as responsive as like a live chat or whatever sure and so i started seeing those like streamers having like very nice communities with you know um their own symbols and their own you know private jokes or whatever and uh and I was like, I think that's something that I want to try because um, it feels like it would like you know help me go through all of this and uh, and complete the you know like fill the void that I have uh, because basically when I'm on tour that's the only moment where I meet people because I'm someone that is not very social in general. Of course. So being on tour is just like my 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 way of socializing and and I didn't have this anymore so I wanted to you know kind of like fill this uh, this uh, this void and. And I started streaming, and I was really like shaking. It, it was pretty scary, and 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 now I can't really think of my life without doing it. You know? <laughs> yeah. So what what uh what games are you playing? Well, I, I play a lot of different things. Like the the like the the one I'm most ashamed of is probably Call of Duty Warzone <laughs> because it's it's like a very you know like manly thing or whatever. And uh, yeah. but it's just I, I like the competitive side of it, I guess. But yeah, like. Of at this time, I'm playing a lot of like survival games where it's like you're uh, 
uh, you're, uh, uh, you know, in, in a, a medieval era and you're trying to build like a village or something and you have to, you know, uh, manage resources and stuff like that. So it's, it's you know, it's just like chilling around <laughs> yeah, during yeah, yeah. middle age and, you know, you know, living, living like another life, I guess. <laughs> are you, are you still tattooing often? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, like during COVID we, we couldn't really tattoo. Uh, and, uh, uh, and so I started like feeling like I needed to slow down on that because I was working a lot. Like basically, basically my life before COVID was like, I go on tour and the day after the tour I am tattooing, you know, it was, yeah. it was nonstop. So I would come back from the U S and not sleep and go to work straight ahead. And, and I realized that it was not healthy at all. And, um, and that I needed to slow down a little bit. And, um, and the same way that, you know, going back on stage after COVID is kind of like stressful. I, I had the same kind of stress about going back to tattooing. So I was like, I'm just going to, you know, work for a week per month and, uh, and take like maybe one person per day and just like, you know, slow down on this. And no matter the money, I just need to, you know, feel like a comfort and a good balance in what I'm doing. And, um, and so for a long time, I've been tattooing just one week per month. And now I just recently um opened like a private studio in my apartment uh, so i oh, can amazing. actually tattoo anytime i want you know people amazing. from around here yeah so um, it's um i'm really looking forward to this because it's like you know uh, the the kind of life where you're just like managing everything yourself and and and, and if you need comfort you can find it anywhere you know it's uh right good. It's, <laughs> yeah yeah and you're still able to sort of like detach even though it's in your in your own space like you're able yeah. to sort of like feel like you can detach from work yeah yeah i think so because like i mean no i, I actually I actually it's totally wrong because no i i can't I, I never can detach from work you know uh music being my second work too now it's a second job like uh, anything artistic that i do i can't not think of it every single minute of my life it's it's mm -hmm. really annoying because it's you know you know the feeling of like always you know, uh, thinking about what's the next step for this project or like uh, what's going to be the next song about or like, oh, I've just seen this um, uh, exhibition. Like, how can I translate the feelings that I had through this ex uh, exhibition into like a song or into like a new painting or a tattoo, whatever. So I'm, uh, I'm always thinking about my works because my works are my passions. Yeah. I'm, sh I'm sure you know what I mean. Like, sure. Like any, you're probably always, you know, writing poems when you're just like walking around in, in LA or I don't know. So it's, 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 it's the same thing for me. So I don't think it's unhealthy. It's just that, it's just that, yeah, you, you, I can't switch off at all. So having my, uh, having my, my, uh, my job in my apartment is not a problem at all because it's already the case anyway. <laughs> yeah. Are you able to enjoy like, like if you just like put on a movie or something like that, are you able to sort of calm your brain or is it, or is it something that like you struggle with, like having to like turning, turning that artistic side off? Yeah, no, I can't. Like, that, that's, that's one of the reasons why I'm not into movies or, or ser like TV series or whatever. Like it's really hard for me to just sit down, watch a movie because I'm, you know, I'm always skipping. Like my, 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 my brain is always like going somewhere else and, mm -hmm. and thinking about like, Oh yeah. Like a, I need to do this. I need to answer my emails or like, I need to, uh, yeah, uh, my, my, my brain is always busy with, with like the things that I do. And, uh, and that's where I think video games are stronger uh, for me is that like, because I am involved in this because video, video games are like close to movies now, really. And sure. 
but you're involved in the movie so it makes kind of like your brain you know able to just like focus on this and not think about anything else and that's what that's why i i, I really had the, the 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 need to play so many video games lately i think because i really need my my brain to switch off and <laughs> no and, i get i get it uh i mean i've said it i think probably a couple of times on this podcast but i'm not like a huge video game person but i use them uh as sort of like a reward system for myself like if i if we finish a record if we finish a, if i finish a personal project or something like that then i'm like okay i i'm going to allow myself to sit on the couch <laughs> and yeah. just play this for 10 hours a day and not feel bad about it you know what well, i'm saying well, yeah. What, what kind of games do you play? Uh, I, you know, it's funny. I'll, I, I usually like will get one or two games for Christmas, but then mm-hmm. I don't play them for like six months, and then I finally <laughs> do, and that's all. So current, so last Christmas I got that Assassin's Creed Valhalla uh, game, mm-hmm. and I'm, and I'm right now currently playing that, but I'm like, okay. you know, I'm probably like twenty hours deep, and I know there's still so goddamn much more to yeah. do. Those yeah, get like a lot of those games are really um tedious you know mm. like it's kind of it's kind of just like making you collect th- like i have to also because my brain is very like ocd ish like i have to 100 percent a game before mm. i can finish mm. it are you like that at all <laughs> that's a real problem <laughs> it is a real problem because they know exactly what they're doing because it's like mm. oh yeah you have to collect 45 of these stupid like feathers or something mm. and you're just like this is just it's just busy work like lately, I had to stop playing a game called Satisfactory, okay. which is uh, it's like it's basically like a, a game where you like uh, build a factory on a different planet. So you have to you know start very um, small, and yep. and then you build all the production. But the thing is that it gets so complicated that I started doing like Excel files with all my resources in them. <laughs> And get oh my so God. involved in it. I was dreaming of the game every night. And, and I was like, <laughs> dude, that's fucked up. Like, I need to stop that. <laughs> yeah. it's, it's going too far. Wow. It's really going too far. That's amazing. Um, but no, I mean, like, I loved, like, the Red Dead Redemption 2 game. That mm. was really fun. Um, the uh, The Last of Us games were super yeah, fun. they're amazing. Um, I, don't know if you, I don't know if you heard it, but I interviewed early on in the show... Um, this woman named Hallie Gross, who was a co-writer for The Last oh. of Us 2. Okay, tight. I need, I need to check that. Yeah, like I finished playing the game and I was just like, I need to talk to somebody. <laughs> and it was the coolest situation. I was, I, you know, I got in touch with her and uh, she also wrote on a couple TV shows that I really like. Hmm. Um, she did one uh, called Too Old to Die Young, which was with the same yeah. director and writer that did like Drive, basically. Okay, nice. It's an Amazon show. It's incredibly fucked up, too. It's like one of the most <laughs> fucked up shows I've ever seen. Um, she wrote on Westworld, like all this cool mm. stuff. And um, but what was like just like the most flattering thing in the entire world, she ended up telling me that I, I think it was like her cousin was a big Touche fan. So that uh, made her like down to talk to me because it would like excite her cousin or something like that. It was like a really sweet circumstance. But <laughs> um, still, that was one of the most exciting conversations, especially early on, because I would just like I was like, I just need to talk about this game. Like it was so emotionally involved. And like you're saying, like how video games are so much like movies these days, like that's mm. very real. Like I didn't I had had so many friends. I mean, Elliot, Tyler, like all mm. like those guys are, are way more video game people growing up. And like okay. um, hearing them talk about like the emotional involvement that they had with like the Final Fantasy games and stuff like <laughs> that. I, I can never relate to it because mm. I, I never felt that before. But that was the first game that I played where I was like, oh, my God, I like 
this is really intense, you know? Yeah, the moment where like the 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 scenario like switches you like uh, I don't know you you played the two last of yeah, us right yeah. okay exactly so, yeah I don't want to spoil for anyone that hasn't played them but like just in the middle of the of the second one there's like this switch where you're like you know uh, you're not sure about which side you're on you know exactly. you know what I mean. Exactly. I, it really made me feel like you know, the, the the other time that I had this feeling was when I was for, for the first time playing Skyrim, uh, where it's like at some point you have to make a choice about two sides, and they're both horrible sides in their own in in their own ways. Yeah. And uh, you know, it's like when you have to vote for you have like two candidates and they're both fucked up, but you have to vote for like the least fucked up one. Yeah. The and lesser two evils. Exactly. Yeah. And, and that's, that's that, that kind of choice. And, and then you make a choice and like the other side gets pissed and, and disappointed. And I, I had to stop to play Skyrim for a week because I felt like I disappointed a friend of mine. <laughs> when, oh my God. When it was just a video game. Yeah. And, uh, and you know, yeah, the, the emotional involvement can be really strong. I feel. And, uh, um yeah it's it's it, it, i can really understand how video games can be so addictive you know in in, yeah. in a way because you 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 so you're so much like part of it and it's some it's such a huge escape from the real world that it's really easy to just dive in it and just not think about anything else so uh Absolutely. (laughs) Absolutely. Uh, last thing i'm going to bring up video game wise before we start talking about Mm. your life is uh (laughs) is um I don't know if it was because you play mainly like PC games. I'm assuming like on your on your computer, um, or are you playing like? It's been pretty recent that I have a, a PC. Like I, I used to be a big like uh, PlayStation okay. uh, person, which is why like that, that, that's why I, I I came to Hellfest because I was um I was uh, um, invited by a PlayStation to uh, oh, okay. to do an interview there, and uh and uh which was great like such an, a big honor for me. But uh but yeah like now I'm I'm mainly on on, on computer, but uh. But, but still, you know, I have a PS5. <laughs> sure. Play. Anyway. Did you did you ever play the Alien game? Like Alien, no, never. Oh uh, fuck, what's it called? Alien uh, something. Uh, isolation. Isolation. Yeah. yeah I, I've seen a friend of mine play it, and it looks stressful. <laughs> it was straight up the scariest game I've ever played in my life. Okay. Like it, it and it's like considered one of the scariest games. Um, I have like uh, over COVID, especially like I I spent money on like a like a surround sound sort of thing for mm. my living room for like because all i was doing was watching movies so i figured i would spoil myself <laughs> and playing that with like surround sound where you hear the alien because you never know when it's going to attack or it's always mm. kind of stalking you and it's never repeats the same thing so the game is like dead silent and then all of a sudden you'll hear like the and it like no. run, and it's so fucking scary. Yeah, I was when I finally beat that game. I felt like I needed to take a vacation. I was like, <laughs> I don't know why I'm doing this to myself. I'm on edge like all day playing this. Yeah, um, I, I had this feeling with um. So on October, I did like this like Halloween special month, and uh, and uh, and I played only like horror games, and um, and there was one that that's called Visage. Um, I, I don't think it's. I don't think it's an English word like visage, but like it's basically you're just like in a haunted house, and and so many things happen. Like it's just like you, you know, wandering around the house, but you're scared like hundred percent of the time because you don't know what's gonna happen, yeah. and you you really just have the, the chills all the time, and it makes you feel so uncomfortable that. <laughs> 
that. Yeah. Yeah. It's crazy what game, I mean, to think about when I was a little, little kid and just how mm. far video games have come from playing Mega Man to playing this <laughs> shit. It's so crazy. Yeah. Um, yeah. All right. Bart, you're from, uh, you're from like Western France, right? Yeah. That, is that, and it's called Laval? Is that, oh. am I saying that correctly? Yeah. 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 It's a, uh, it's a small town. It's like uh, 65,000 inhabitants, really. So uh, it's like a small town in, in the middle of bigger cities. Okay. Um, you know, like you have a, uh, you have Rennes, Le Mans, or uh, Nantes is like two hour, two and two and a half hours from uh, from Laval. Okay. Um, Paris is like an hour and a half by train, uh, but it's still a very like countryside uh, town. <laughs> sure, sure. So when uh, you know the first question I usually ask musicians is uh, when you were growing up. Do you remember the first thing that you connected to musically? that mm-hmm. felt like it was yours maybe not something that was being played in the house by maybe your parents but something mm-hmm. that maybe you discovered on your own that was exciting uh on my own i'm not sure but uh maybe maybe on my own was like all the um, uh maybe like the the blink 182 era and uh you know um the offspring like yeah. americana that was probably sure. like one of the first thing but like i know that every time i'm asked uh, what was it like your first, you know, um, the first music that really got you into music and stuff was really like Nirvana, never mind. Mm-hmm. But that was something that I discovered through my um, elder brother, really. So it's not, yeah, I, I really like, um, I don't know how to say, it, but like my, my brother and I always shared everything. So I kind of felt like I discovered it on my own when it's actually him that made it sure. listen to me. But I know that I was six and I was playing air guitar on a on a tennis racket, uh, <laughs> and that was the very first time I felt like I wanted to be in a band. So, you know, for me symbolically, I would say this record. But if it's something that I have to discover on my own, it's probably yeah, Blink One Eighty Two, um, Offspring, probably some like you know neo metal stuff like Papa Roach or <laughs> yeah, <laughs> this kind of things. But yeah, things that I that- don't listen to anymore. But the late late 90s early 2000s yeah yeah um what was the uh what was the first concert you went to uh so because like laval it's kind of a weird town because we we had like a huge rock history um in the in the way that there there used to be like concerts like three concerts per week in 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 small bars here but because I, i grew up in a village close to laval um, and that I was not a very social person at the time anyway, uh, I would not go out to the, the, the city, you know, sure. <laughs> I would not go downtown and, uh, and, and go to shows. So, uh, uh, the first time I went to a show was actually pretty late and, and, uh, and the whole rock vibe was gone in, in the town. So my first punk rock show was Burning Heads. That was a, a French band that used to be on Epitaph, but you know, the Burning Heart uh, like the European side of Epitaph. Yeah, uh, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. They put out like a few stuff and all of that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, and so that was my first punk rock, punk rock show, really. And um, I think, but uh, I, I mean, apart from local bands, because obviously, like you know, so that's something that's always weird for me to explain to people that don't come from France. But we have a day in in every year in in France where it's called the Day of Music, where everybody plays for free in the streets. Wow. So, uh, like, I remember a lot of people being amazed that we played in in the streets of Paris, like uh, at the beginning of our of our first tour for Real Little of the World. But it's actually a very common thing in 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 France. And so, during this 
days, you know. I, 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 I checked out a lot of local bands, like metal bands and stuff. But it didn't feel like a real concert. You know, it's not something where you buy tickets and you really want to see the band, you know. Yeah. It's more like, oh, just wandering around and discovering, like, some bands here and there. So I guess my very, like, my real first punk rock show was Burning Burning Heads. In a, and and it was pretty ta- late in their career. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Did, uh... Uh, did your town have like a pretty big music scene at all? You, you know, you mentioned there were shows happening. Yeah, yeah. There, there was so there. We had this, um, and it still exists. But there's this this kind of like rock school that that happens in our in our town, where like there's a couple guys that just want to teach kids how to play in bands, and there are guys that used to play, you know, in rock bands back in the eighties and nineties, but they all failed because of drugs and shit. <laughs> and and so i met most of my friends through this school where it's just like i'm a guitar player i have a bassist i have another guitar player and a drummer and we just want to play punk rock and we don't care about knowing you know what note this is you know we just want to play and 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 so that guy was like okay so let's play the 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 ramones for example or let's play something very simple so you understand what is the song structure and then you can make your own songs and stuff like that and um and so i i the 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 scene was really like uh, revolving around this school for a long time and and we had this like i, I was part of this uh, moment in the the town history like the rock history where like everything was so cool there were so many people involved and so many bands you know popping here and there and so we, we would all play together and uh and yeah you know share the stage anytime we could and uh and so there was there was this scene, but it was really hard to bring other bands to the to 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 our town. I feel like really the the moment we started putting up shows in our uh, town was uh, just a little bit before we started Birds in Row, uh, okay. and it, it was pretty late in my you know my my education um, as a punk rocker, I guess. So that for a long time we did, just didn't have shows in here. <laughs> sure, I mean, yeah, that's that that's a common thing where it's like, you have to sort of, if there's not a, if there's not a scene, you have to kind of make your own scene and and it makes total sense. This podcast is presented by DistroKid, an incredible service for musicians that helps you upload your songs to all music streaming platforms from iTunes to Spotify and Apple music, then pays you revenue from your songs all in one place. They've got a really cool new feature called Splits that allows you to add collaborators so you can pay your co-writers and fellow musicians without needing an accountant. To get 30% off your first year's DistroKid subscription, just head to distrokid.com slash VIP slash hard times. Was guitar your first instrument? Yeah, yeah, I've always played guitar. Like, um... Once again, my brother uh, started playing guitar because it was so much into Nirvana and Metallica, this kind of bands. And uh, and I took his guitar and actually was more involved in learning. Uh-huh. <laughs> so he just dropped it. He was like, fuck. <laughs> like, I guess I lost that. <laughs> yeah. And he got into hip hop and stuff. And I just collected his records and, and started listening to bands that I had no idea who they were. What so was I that? actually... Uh, yeah, what, what was the what was the first guitar? What kind of guitar was oh, it? Oh, it was just like a classic guitar, you know, really just like, a like a, you know, the, yeah, no, 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 like a proper like classical guitar, you know, like um, oh, like an acoustic. Yeah, yeah, acoustic, and um, 
And uh, and at some point, my parents saw that I was really much into that, and that I really wanted to do, to you know have like a uh, an electric guitar. So they they bought something very very cheap with like a very cheap amp, so I could actually play on yeah. it. And uh, and then I started a band. <laughs> what was and, the uh, yeah? What was the uh, what was the name of the first band? What was the first band? It was terrible. <laughs> I know and they always called, are. It was called Sling Sixty Nine. <laughs> oh, oh my god! Yeah, yeah, That's and, awesome. I, and that was terrible. And and but it was <laughs> because I, I was like thirteen or fourteen uh, when we created our, our first band, and we were all into Blink One Eight Two, Sum Forty One, New sure. Frank Glory, this kind of things, and uh, yeah. and. And when we created the band, at some point we discovered like cooler, like not, not cooler bands, but different bands like uh, Odd Water Music, for example, sure. that really changed my life and really made me feel like I want to sing in a band. Like this is what I want to do. Yeah. And um, and uh, and then you know, it lasted for eight years. And the beginning of the band is really just like talking about skate, uh, like skateboard and punk rock and, sh- and shit like yeah, that. Of <laughs> And then it, we grew up and discovered like hardcore and stuff. And the the very last songs of the band were really like the pre-Birds in Row uh, things for me. You're saying so that band lasted eight years? Yeah. I, wow. I only had two bands in my life. Really. Wow. Did that and, did, did that name stay the same the whole time? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Wow. We were very committed. <laughs> yeah, apparently. <laughs> did you, by the end of those eight years, did you have like a pretty big following in your in your area? Yeah, that, that was that was fine. Um, like we started like touring France, uh, and we actually split up right before our first European tour, which was wow. uh, that's the reason why we got so involved in uh, in touring with uh, Birds in Rue at the beginning because the frustration was so big that we were like, okay, those guys that don't want to play in a band anymore, so we're just gonna be three now uh, with like uh, another member, a friend of ours, and we're just gonna go on the road forever and not care about anything else and. And and that's what we did for the beginning of the band. And uh, but yeah, the, at the end of Sling '69, it was like we were on this uh, record label that was like kind of like the French Discord, you know, the very like DIY punk um, uh, that was um, uh, managed by the biggest punk rock band in France uh, at the time. And um, and so we were, we're doing fine, you know, but. I don't think like you know, looking at it now, I don't think there was like any future. Like anything that, for example, that we lived through Birds in Row wouldn't have happened to this band, I think. Of really. course. What was uh, what was the first show you ever played? Uh, I think that was our drummer, uh, our drummer's sister birthday party. <laughs> Love it. And and uh, his parents were like pretty strict, like very strict. And when we played, I had like you know, uh, thirty centimeters spikes on my head. With like uh with like a shitty Metallica shirt and whatever and uh and we played like three songs and it was awful like way too loud for anyone in the room and <laughs> was that were you singing in the band too yeah 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 uh, uh, yeah like I was not meant to sing in the beginning but because no one wanted to do it classic well I was like fuck it let, let's let's do it and I started you know singing like kind of like Tom DeLonge would sing in, in Blink-182 because that was like one of my main, like I, I literally learned how to play guitar with Blink-182. Like I really committed to the band and it was like, I will, I'm going to learn every single song because they're kind of like easy to learn, you know? And uh, yeah. and so I knew the all of them songs. And, and so it was like a huge uh, 
a huge um, inspiration for me. But at some point, I discovered um, Odd Water Music, and it was like, okay, so what I thought was just like, I'm going to sing in the band because uh, because no one wants to do it. Now I'm actually going to sing in a band because I really want to do it because I discovered this amazing band where like every single song gives me, give me the chills and their voices are just amazing. And I want to, I want to sound like them. Yeah. <laughs> but at the time I didn't know that whiskey was involved <laughs> and because I've never really drunk uh, alcohol in my life, it was kind of hard to sound like uh, Chuck Reagan. <laughs> yeah, you start smoking smoking four packs a day of cigarettes, yeah. and yeah. <laughs> um, what was uh, what was the uh, first time you ever recorded? Because it sounds like you know, if that band was together for that long, you were putting you put out records or, or at least you know, uh, yeah, reco- yeah. seemingly recorded. What was that first experience like? Um, we we so at the rock school that we were a part of, uh, we would like record some demos. Uh, like pre demos actually, and then go record like proper demos in a in a in a small basement studio that was owned by a friend of our teacher, and and so that we we started like recording. We were like fourteen or fifteen, really, really at the beginning of the band. Anytime we would have like a, a couple new songs, we would do a demo, and and you know just to know how it is to record, like what's the process, and like uh, how is it different to from like you know playing live. So, yeah, um, that, that was the, yeah that was our, our first experience. Then we had like some very shitty experience in like weird studios, <laughs> you know. And uh, but like the our very first proper album uh, was pretty late uh, in in the history of the band. I think it was like the probably after six like five or six years, I think. And is that the threatened kind? Yeah, that's it. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you're, you're watching right now, man. Nah. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's, uh, that's 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 man. Yo, this man. is uh this is a a high priced Discogs item, my friend. <laughs> People paid really? a lot of money for this. Yeah, there's one for sale for forty bucks. What the fuck? Like, <laughs> <laughs> you know, last time, so I think like uh, the last time someone to- told me about that band, they were like, "Why don't you like you know repress the Thread and Kind on LP because there's no- never been any LP." Yeah, and I was like, "Who would who would want to buy this shit?" You know, like seriously, <laughs> like I- I'm into creating new music. Like I don't want yeah, to. Yeah, of course, just- of course. <laughs> it's kind of weird. I mean, yeah, it's uh, it's for the true heads who are who just want to have everything that you were ever a part of. I get it. Yeah. Um, yeah. But uh, so that you mentioned that band broke up before you got to really do any any real touring and things mm-hmm. like that. Um, was any of the original members of Birds in that band or no? Yeah, um, Timmy, our our drummer, was Timmy the, was, the okay. it was the same, and um, our bassist at the time was uh, our friend. I was doing um, a merch for Sling Sixty Nine. Okay, and was just like you know driving with us because. It was always involved in other bands and stuff, but really had nothing uh, serious uh, at the time. So it was just like, you know, discovering the DIY punk with us uh, at, at the same time than us, I guess. So and, tor- um, so towards the end of that band, though, were you were you and Timmy like getting in? Were, had you gotten into hardcore and stuff like that? Yeah. And, and were like very interested in kind of going more in a aggr- more of an aggressive route? Yeah, when when I so because because it's a small town, you get to not be part of any scene. So you you gotta listen to everything really. So I discovered a lot of different bands during my high school years. And uh, I, for example, I got into Converge during my high school years. 
you know, listened to Gendo and was like, I'm not sure to understand what this is about. And yeah. uh, because like, obviously the gap between Blink-182 and Gendo is like, <laughs> is like a huge gap. Yeah. But then I got into it. You Feel Me went out. I was like number one fan. I loved it and, uh, and got into, I don't know, so many violent bands at the time because all my friends would listen to metal and I was like one of the only ones to listen to punk rock. And um and so I got into Slipknot um, or some like darker stuff like Not Zoom or like black metal stuff. I, I was really you know like any kind of kids that discover you know underground music. You want to listen to everything and 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 try to understand the purpose of every kind of music, I guess. And so when I got to uni, I discovered bands like Comeback Kid, and then someone told me I was Straight Edge, and I had no idea what what it was. <laughs> so sure. I discovered Straight Edge bands. Uh, got into I don't know Champion, Half Heart, uh, Verse, all you know this like Rivari era or yes. um, like Bridge Nine uh, bands and um like which perfectly uh, works with with if you're in this in this band that's kind of doing more melodic punk stuff mm. a lot of that rivalry records early or like not early but rivalry records and then mid two thousands era Bridge Nine stuff mm. is all so melodic. Yeah. that I could completely see how that, you know, starts to sway into like what you want to do. Yeah, definitely. And, and, and so we started listening to all those bands, like, you know, go it alone, uh, where you're like, whoa, these emotions, you know, it's like, it's crazy. Like it makes me feel, you know, pissed and very emotional and, and everything. And, and, and really matched the way we felt as kids, I guess. And, and so we started like, you know, like the threading kind for example is more of a hardcore um record than what we would have done before that and um and and so we started like getting into this then into um you know um, dark hardcore like breach uh discovered the theater uh, touche um discovered so many different music and at the same time we were trying to you know also discover like french bands and one of the main uh, uh, discovery that I did was Amanda Woodward, where oh, yeah. I was like, "Wow, I can actually love a French band that sings in French." <laughs> yeah, and and I was so amazed, and I I actually got the chance to see them, and I was totally in love with this band and everything that they represented, and uh, and and you know, I don't, I don't know, it was kind of this weird feeling where I was like, I kind of feel like I'm growing up, you know. Like I'm, sure. I'm going from the high school moments where I'm like just discovering bands on uh, magazines like Rock Sound magazines or whatever, and uh, and now I'm actually being my own self, discovering bands on internets in very like dark, you know, forums like dark yeah. boards and stuff, and uh, <laughs> and uh, it's a, uh, it really felt great. You know, this moment of my life was just amazing because I felt like every day there was something new that I could discover, and uh, so so it was pretty pretty tight. Yeah, of course. Uh, I'm sure. Yeah, that's also awesome that you got to see Amanda Woodward. Obviously, mm, never mm. got to see that band. That band's really, really good. Uh, was was like Dytro a band that you got to see, or was that any a band that interests you? Or no, no, that's that's the thing. When, when I discovered Amanda Woodward, uh, I tried to get into the rest of the screamo, uh, like French screamo uh, yeah. scene, and and Dytro was never a band that uh, really hit it for me you know i was i was i was just like i don't know i don't like i don't really like the voice like the singing is weird whatever uh-huh. and i really got into Dytro when i discovered actually their uh, their new band that was called baton rouge 
Okay. Uh, so it was pretty late, actually. And yeah. and then when I discovered Baton Rouge and I, I really liked it, I was like, oh, okay. So it really got me into Dietro because, you know, there was kind of a connection now. Ah. And uh, and I was like, okay, so the the melodic side of Dietro is pretty much Baton Rouge. And, and, and so it, it, it kind of like opened the door for me to actually enjoy Dietro. Sure. Which is kind of weird because most of the people know Baton Rouge through Dietro. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but, of course. Yeah. Uh, and it's funny. It's, I, I wonder if it's one of those things where um, that's a band that is celebrated a lot more maybe even here mm. than, yeah. than there. You know, no, I, I, I've, I found that that was one of the, the strangest things that I think I, I discovered um, once Touche started touring Europe is there all these European bands that in the States are like beloved mm. are like maybe not that big over no. there which is like <laughs> shocking they're like, they're like super like they're actually unknown <laughs> like yeah. amanda amanda woodward was like bigger in uh, in spain for example or like uh other countries but france and i know they were they were actually bigger in in the u.s too but like in france they're like you know except from the the very like diy punk scene that were actually you know glorifying them uh they were they they you know, no one followed Amanda Woodward. I think at this time it was yeah. it was so weird for me because like I was like, this is like the best band. Like seriously, <laughs> this is like one of the best thing I've ever heard. Like they have everything. They have their own identity. They have emotion. Uh, you know, um, their approach of music was so interesting, and the lyrics. Like I wish you could understand French because, but um, that's one of the reason I don't I don't sing in French. Like I I, I want people to understand what I what what I sing, but also because. It's so hard to write good lyrics in French. Uh, people are so picky about lyrics in French that you couldn't sing the Ramones songs in French. You would sound stupid. Like so, people are so proud of the language yeah. that, <laughs> that oh, it's like, yeah, it's like you have to be super poetic. You have to be like the best writer to, to sing in French and not sound just like another, you know, radio, radio French music or whatever, something that is not meaningful for people in the scene, you know? So, wow. um, so Amanda Woodward had like the best lyricists and, um, J Jerome, who, who, who I'm actually happy to consider a friend now, but had like the best lyrics ever. And it was so, it was kind of like, um, French Bukowski, you know, <laughs> this kind, this kind of, interesting, uh, interesting, uh, and yeah. So that's, that's what really got me into it. It's just like, oh, actually they actually, they, they have proper lyrics and the, the music is just phenomenal. Yeah. And, uh. And that was the same time that I discovered Envy. So I was like, you know, yeah. <laughs> every piece has come together. You're like, whoa, <laughs> there's like yeah. this new scene for me that is just everything now. <laughs> so uh, this might be jumping ahead a little bit, but then you end up, you know, the first Birds and Row release, it was a seven inch, right? It was the yeah. that one seven inch, sure. So um, in a very screamo sort of way, you guys had like 14 labels involved with like your first <laughs> couple releases. Um, yeah. But one of them was Vitriol, which is mm. our mutual friend, Justin Smith, who yeah. obviously was in Graf Warlock and, and bands like that. Um, how did he come your way? How did you end up getting introduced to, to that label? That was kind of weird because uh, it was this kind of thing that always amazed me with Birds in a Row is that we're so lucky. Um, we have friends that really support us in the way that they would be like, oh, have you listened to my friend's band? Like, and, and they would play our demo to whoever, you know? Yeah. And, uh, and so we, we, we had a, a friend, Cecile, uh, 
um, that was uh, dating a guy in Seattle and uh, uh, no, in, a, in, a, in Oakland at, at the time they were living in Oakland, California, which makes sense because Justin is from California too. And, uh, and I, I think she, she met Justin this time. I'm not sure, but anyway, she played our demo to Justin in his car or something like that. And he was like, okay, that's pretty cool. <laughs> and, uh, and he hit us up on MySpace at the time. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, and it was like, yeah, I've got this record label. Um, I want to have like a couple copies of your first seven inch maybe. And I had no idea who Justin was and yeah. who Vitral was. And, um, and so at the time he hit me up, I was like, yeah, why not? And we started discussing about it. And then all our labels dropped us. So we had no labels anymore, like maybe just one or two left. And so I, I ended up Justin saying like, I'm sorry, you're going to have to wait a little longer to have uh, some copies because we don't have the money and we don't have any labels anymore. So we need to figure it out. And he was like, how much do you need? <laughs> right. I was like, I don't know, a couple hundreds, whatever. And he just, he just put it on the table and it was our first US um, record label. Yeah. And then, and then I just like, you know, for the first time checked out his link <laughs> right. on his website. And I was like, wait, you're a label and you have Comadre, Dangerous and all those like Graf Warlock and all those amazing bands. Like, that's amazing. We're so honored. Thank you. And I was like, oh yeah, they're all my bands. And I was like, what? <laughs> like, what the fuck? <laughs> so yeah. it was so weird because I had no fucking clue. I had no fucking clue who Justin was. It was just like a MySpace dude for me at the time. You know, it was just. Yeah. Uh, and, Le- uh, and legendary and California guy who's in, been in so many bands and just, yeah. yeah or friends. The nicest. Ni- if, if he listens to that, I love you, Justin. Uh, I miss you. <laughs> <laughs> but but it, yeah, it was just like our first moment as a band where I was like, Dude, there's this guy from all those crazy bands that want to put up our records. That's that's crazy. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's awesome. Um, I'm trying to think. I think it was because no, it wasn't. It was there was like a funny thing. I remember where I think I I can't remember if someone maybe posted about your band or whatever it was, but it was when uh the the uh Cottbus, if I'm is that is that how you say it? Cottbus. Yeah, never, yeah, yeah. Okay. When that was coming out, um, I heard that on maybe a blog or something like that, and I remember just being like, "Holy shit!" <laughs> and I sent it to Trey at mm. Deathwish and was like, "Hey, Trey, like <laughs> this band is so fucking sick. Like you should put this band out." And then he laughed and was like, "LOL, your friend already is." And I was like, "What?" And then I looked and I saw <laughs> Vitriol was a part of it. And I was like, "Oh shit." Oops. like <laughs> you just uh, stole a band from your friend yeah i was like oh no oh um and then eventually obviously you guys ended up working yeah. with death wish which is awesome um did uh when that stuff was coming out what was the first tour you guys ended up actually doing like uh how how ex- did you go to the uk was it ma- mostly just like mainland europe what was your first uh, tour yeah like so because the our, our main goal with birds in row was to tour everything went so fast that we actually put out stuff at the same time as we were touring. So um, when Sling 69 stopped, one month after that, I think we released our first song as Birds in Row. And, uh, or, or maybe we just practiced for the first time at this, at this moment. But like everything went super fast. And our first tour was like a couple months after the death of, uh, of my former band. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and it was, we tried to go to Europe as a revenge, you know, from like <laughs> splitting up uh, before our first European tour. And, and it didn't work because no one cared, you know. When, when you're when you're um, a French band and you want to book yourself in Germany, there's for example, there's this weird thing where like no one cares, but one 
once someone opens the door, then it's okay. It, it kind of felt like that. So no one opened the door on the first tour. So we toured with uh, this amazing band called Parwin uh, that was kind of like um, Mars Volta uh, meets uh, uh, all the French screamo scene. Um, and um, and we only did like a week uh, or maybe 10 days in, in France and then after that, we're like, we have to tour again together, but we're gonna do the, we're gonna do Europe. We're gonna do it. Uh, I commit to it, and and every single day I'm gonna send emails, and we're gonna do that. And we ended up doing this, and I think it was like, uh, one year after the less than one year after after the beginning of the band, and only the first seven inch came out, which was called Rise of the Phoenix. Yeah. And so we did this horrible tour, and at the same time, amazing tour <laughs> because. Yep. Everything shitty happened to us on our very first tour. Like we broke our van, uh, we almost got robbed. Uh, <laughs> like, like we, you know, the, 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 that moment where you arrive and the promoter is not here. It happened on this first tour. So, uh, but we also saw how the DIY scene is so uh, helpful and uh, and the solidarity of of, of the people there. And um, and so it was kind of this tour where it was like do we stop or do we continue? And, mm-hmm. and the feeling at the end of the tour is like, okay, we got, we got to keep up. And that's when Cottbus uh, came out because Cottbus was actually the city where we broke our van, which was oh, like wow. very traumatizing. <laughs> wow. Oh, and, that's uh, so funny. Yeah. Well, it was like breaking up a van in the middle of nowhere, Germany, uh, where you don't know what to do. You call the cops, they laugh at you because they don't understand shit or what you're saying and they never oh. show up. <laughs> oh my God. But there's uh, this guy from, you know, uh, Netherlands that brings you a van two days after that, that's in the middle of the snowstorm. But it, it was just like the crazier, craziest tour ever, I think. Yeah, stuff that in the moment is the worst days of your life, but then mm. you realize you're going to talk about them for the rest of your life because yeah, they were <laughs> monumental. It's funny how all of the same um, issues or problems that happen on everyone's first tour it doesn't matter if you're in europe or the u.s it's mm. all the same problems it's yeah, promoters definitely. not showing up it's <laughs> it's uh yeah vans breaking down it's mm. uh dealing with cops it's dealing oh, with yeah. potentially getting robbed or the border <laughs> or whatever it is there's like always something that is terrible that is going to happen but um it brings everybody closer or or it lets you know who's going to be able to stick it out because yeah, often after a first tour maybe a band loses a member or something mm. it's like oh i can't do that ever again <laughs> well i thought i was going to be fun <laughs> yeah. yeah and it's not real fun now <laughs> yeah um totally totally and then what i remember i mean when we all became friends um i was just so blown away by how hard your band grinded when you came to the u.s that first time <laughs> because yeah that was yeah. you wait if do i get this correctly that because you first you did a full u.s tour with loma right with loma yeah we Priya. did like 32 shows in 31 days i think right so and you were in, uh, sharing and you shared a van with loma van and gear and, and it was a very small van so it was a there was a lot of tension growing up because there was our first u.s tour we were not used to all those long drives and uh-huh. also having like our legs not you know in the right place <laughs> yeah the uh, just uncomfortable like, just yeah uncomfortable. and then and, and, uh, but then yeah. did you stay you stayed in the u.s because then you came on tour with us right yeah so like the the, the normally what was going to happen was it was supposed to be like a two-month tour with loma Prieta, but then they got 
they're going to propose to to tour with Converge, which is something you don't, you know, you, you just don't say no right. <laughs> to touring with Converge. So so they were like, I'm sorry, dudes, but we got to do that. It's like the second month of our tour is actually going to be a tour with Converge. And well, you're not obviously not invited, but if you want to come, you can still, you know, come with us in the van and watch the shows every night. And, and maybe after this tour, we can do a couple more shows, whatever. And, and we're like, I don't know, man, like, uh, and at the time we, we were just going, um, I think we, yeah, we were just signed to death wish and, uh, and Trey was really much like, we're going to find a solution. We're going to do something. And, and he started coming up with like all those proposals, like, Oh, you know, this tour with Converse, you're actually, actually going to play two shows with them. Then there's like this new band that we have, uh, on the death wish roster called caught orange kids. You're going to do like a couple shows with them in full of hell. That there was just like a young band too, and uh, and then it was like oh and I don't know I don't know if you know these bands like Tusha or Defeater you're gonna tour with them for two weeks, <laughs> and so we had to change our plane tickets and everything yeah and what what was going to be like um uh like you know like a normal tour was actually gonna be like three tours in a row in the U S and we we played like yeah I think we played sixty shows on our first U S tour. It, I remember just like being so, so blown away by that. And um, if I remember, and you guys then wrote, like, you were also sharing a van with Code Orange Kids for like a few weeks, right? Yeah. So like, yeah, on the tour with you guys, we yeah. were sharing the, the, the van with Code Orange Kids, which was very cool. Yeah. It was very cool. And I mean, they were so young. That was their first yeah. US tour too. I oh, think. Okay. Yeah. I didn't remember that. But the same, like Full Fail were super young and... And and you know everyone was so welcoming and um and it was kind of weird because we everything was so tiresome uh like because we 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 were used to touring a lot in in Europe like I mean used uh, yeah we we had like a couple or, or like three tour European tours uh, um, before like going to the US but like uh, touring with Loma was super intense for a lot of different reasons. And so we left them. It was kind of like a weird moment where we were like, I don't know if I like them guys anymore. Sure. <laughs> you know, the, that kind of tour where like, it, 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 there's just something that makes you feel uncomfortable with the people. But luckily we had, to, we had like 10 more shows at the end of the US tour with them and everything went super cool. And we were friends again. And I, and, and I love this part of the tour too. But yeah. like at this moment, we're like not sure about if we were happy to be here or not, and uh-huh. we were going on tour with like Cotter Orange Kids, we never heard of them, uh, and uh, like we, we didn't know them at all, and uh, and they they brought us to different places. But then uh, the thing is that we had to jump from tours to tours, but they were not like connected, so we had to take a train or like a, a plane or a bus between each tours, and we had all our gear and the merch with us, oh and it was such a nightmare. That was that was the like the most painful tour we've ever done. Like I remember dragging like something like maybe a hundred pounds of merch in the in the Boston subway oh. to try to catch a, a bus to meet up with Converge, and we missed the bus because because we were late because we we're dragging everything with us, and so oh. we had to buy extra tickets <laughs> for like that, that, yeah that was that was a nightmare. But in the end, it was like. One of the most powerful experiences I've ever had, I think. I mean, I remember just thinking you guys were such like determined pros in like, in like where you're just like, look, the, like they're somehow making all of this work, even though you could tell they are very tired yeah. and, <laughs> and they're committed to making these shows happen. Um, 
And yeah, I was just always so, so blown away. And then also you were doing like the very DIY thing where you were, mm. you, you were letting people um, pay whatever they wanted for the merch, which was also which just, is, we're still doing that. You still, still do that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We've never stopped doing that. It's, it's, uh, it's, it's something that amazed a lot of people, but like for us, it's, it just becomes something normal because, um, uh, you know, what, what, what I often say is that I was some, someone very, um, uh, uh, you know, I hate, I hated a lot of people when I started Birds in Row. I was very frustrated with, uh, you know, so, as I said, socializing is really hard for me. And when we, and when we decided to go on tour and I, and when we met up with our friends after the tour and no one understood what we were doing, they were not un- understanding anything that we were living with the band. It was very frustrating because I really felt lonely uh, except for like my two band members. And, uh, and so I, I really started like hating people for no reasons, but like when we started, you know, selling the, um, the merch, uh, as like a donation based thing, it actually made me feel more, um, uh, you know, I actually felt like people were more trustworthy than what I thought, because most of the people that give more than what you would expect, because they understand that you're not selling shirts because you like to sell shirts. Like I don't, you know, it's always great to see someone with a birds in row shirt, but that's not why I play music. And, sure. uh, and, uh, and the real thing behind that is that we need to put gas in the van to go to the next show. And that's why, mer- that's what merch is doing for us. Yeah. So we were like, if you gotta, if you gotta be a donator to the band, you shall as well, you know, um, decide on how much you, you give. And so people started like doing way more than what we expected. And, and you're like, okay, so like your first thought is that, if you give the right to someone to decide like uh, on how much they're going to give, you're going to think like, oh, they're just going to give like one euro, you know, and be like, yeah. I'm going to have all your merch for one euro. But that's not actually what happens. It's really rare that we have this kind of uh, reaction. And most of the time we just explain people that it's not going to happen like that. And, uh, and, and it really made me feel great about people again. You and, saw the uh, generosity. That people yeah. were able to have. I just remember being next to your merch table a couple times and and having to watch poor Tim, me, or you have to explain <laughs> like yeah. what you were doing to someone who was just like, but I just want to can I just give you this? <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. But no, people, like how much does it cost? And you're just like, yeah. it's whatever you want. No, but how much people, does it cost? <laughs> yeah, because people are not, you know, you know, I think um when we started Birds in Row, we 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 didn't have the uh, you know, we didn't want to be like, yeah, you, you know, we know we're like a total new band. We're going to do everything differently than anyone else. Like we, we're not that, like we're not assholes like that, uh-huh. <laughs> but, but we were, we just wanted to do the things the way we were comfortable with. So for example, like, oh, we have to sell shirts, uh, but I'm not very comfortable, comfortable about the fact of like buying a shirt to a factory and then selling it to someone else. So we're going to learn how to print shirts. So mm. any merch we would do, we were doing in Europe, we were printing them on our own, and um, uh, and it's, it was not about to be you know the most DIY band or whatever. It's just that I feel comfortable doing this, so I'm gonna do it. Right. And um, and, uh, and the thing with like the donation based merch, the cool thing is that actually people were didn't know how to react, and you understand that it's just because it's something so common to have a price on a shirt or on a record that people just don't question it. And they don't question what's behind the money that you give to the band, like um, how much, like what's the share they get, or like how are they gonna actually use this money or whatever. And when you break this kind of like uh, normality or like routine or whatever, 
then you, you see that people start to think about the price in a different way. They're like, okay, it's not like I'm not going to compare this record to not another record and be like, it's a single LP, so it should, you know, mm -hmm. it, it should be like 13 euros or whatever. They're more like, what is fair? Like this band comes from France, we're in Poland. Uh, it's like it's like minus 15 Celsius degrees outside. <laughs> and yeah, they're yeah, here yeah. playing for us in the squad. Uh, and I'm really happy to discover them and we, we have a cool conversation. So I'm going to give them this money to help them go to the next city. Totally. So it, it makes it, in a, it, it puts the merch in a very different place. And, and, and you have like the coolest conversation with people about that. You know, it's, uh, it's, um, it's, it's just the same way that the fact that we don't show our faces on, on promo pictures, like, you know, you could just not do any promo pictures at all. Yeah. But the fact that we decide to do it by and crop our sorry and crop our faces, people ask questions, and then you have discussions about the fact that you don't want to show your face because you want to appear as a group or whatever. And yeah. uh, and it's always very interesting. I feel. Um, it's funny. We played. We put a band on a show in Europe recently that we just needed to have a local band, and I mm -hmm. found this band, and I thought they're really cool, and. Uh, at the merch table, they were doing the same thing. They're your the, uh, the donation based thing. And I remember just having flashbacks. I was like, like <laughs> very birds and row energy. Um, I wanted to ask real quick. Uh, I, I don't think I ever realized this, but I've, you know, I've always felt like the production on your records has always been fantastic. Like you've always, you've all, all of your records have always sounded real. Like it, you, you capture the sound that I love um sonically in the music that you make where like the kick drum hits really hard like it <laughs> it has bounce to it like it's it's a fulfilling full sound and i just realized so you've recorded every record with the same person yeah so, um, uh, amory is that how you say his name yeah, yeah. amory sauve is um is the brother of our bassists uh he was not our bassist at the time but yeah. uh, you know he was part like these guys are the person i was talking about when i said that i met a lot of people during the um my rock school era yeah <laughs> and uh and so we grew up together they were into metal and stuff and when birds and Row started they started their own band at the same time that was a trio too called as we Row. that was like one of the best post hardcore band you've ever heard like it's like one of my favorite french bands ever they, they their last record called uh mirages was just a gem it's just yeah one of the best record i know of and uh, and amory started uh recording uh when they started this band because he wanted to, you know to just, just to learn and also like be able to record on their own you know so uh when we started birds in row we were like oh do you want to you know, record stuff for us. And was, oh yeah, for, for sure. Because it was, you know, he was giving him the opportunity to record something else on his own band and whatever. And, and we never stopped working with him because we really consider he's like the fourth member of the band now. It's like. That makes total sense. I mean, he's been a part of every single one of your, it's like his opinion obviously matters to you. Yeah. Yeah. And also because he's someone that, so he's very talented. He's like one of these people that you would give him any kind of instrument or any kind of task, and he would just master it, you know? <laughs> and you're just like, fuck that dude. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, we call those people assholes. You're like, yeah. God damn it. Why do you have to be it's good like, at everything? Yeah, yeah. And, uh, and, um, and the cool thing is that these kind of people can be either uh, very annoying because they're going to be like better than you and make you feel like you're shit, or they're going to be you know, teaching you how to get better yourself. Yeah. 
and that's how Amori is really is is uh, the kind of person when you go on, on, on in the studio with him is going to be like you know I think what you really want to do with your guitar right now is this but you're not just doing it right because maybe you were you know you're, you're just um, uh, you didn't take any step back from your composition or whatever or like the way you hit drums you should probably do this like that and then when you, when you apply what it tells you you're like oh fuck yeah you're right like and so right. you learn during the recording process you learn how to be a better musician and a better band in general and and so it makes total sense to say he's a fourth member because even though he didn't write anything for us he's, he always had like good um uh input on on sure. the way we were like you know Song presenting in the songs or, yeah yeah and 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 very yeah very um uh i don't know i'd say like very effective ways and uh and and he, all, he always pushed us like farther than what we were like <laughs> expecting so we, yeah. it, but in a cool way you know so yeah i i, I sometimes read some uh stories from bands that were very pushed further by producers and you're like oh this guy was so violent i had to cry and blah 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 but for us it was kind of like this limit you know he was like Ugh. yeah <laughs> almost getting to the crying point but actually it was it was all cool <laughs> yeah no no 100 percent um have uh were you guys ever tempted to like you know when you're traveling in the u.s to like uh especially being on death wish like was there ever a thought to maybe try to do a record with kurt or anything like that or or yeah. did you just always have like the no we have to go to our same person every time no, I, th I think we sent a couple mails to kurt saying that oh we're going to be on tour at this time in the u.s and we'd be down to do like a you know a seven inch with you or something mm -hmm. like that but it was never like we're gonna do a full record like a full lp somewhere right. else also because it's kind of um um having this at home makes so much sense for the band because um we're trying to show where we come from to people and and you know i i don't know how to say that but for me the the history of of our band is so crazy compared to what i would have expected that my one of my goal is just to tell people look where i come from there's only fucking cows. <laughs> there's sure. nothing else. There's no punk scene. There's nothing else. And still, we managed to travel the world with our band and find an audience and, and play with our favorite bands and stuff. And, uh, and so it kind of also makes sense for me to keep everything at home as much as possible, you know, and, and be like, this is us. You know, the sound that we produce is, it comes from our hometown, definitely. And, and, and it comes from our close circle of friends and, uh, as much as we try also to tour only with friends, you know, and not be only with uh, workers, you know, <laughs> uh -huh. and uh, and so so it's kind of a it's kind of this kind of feeling. But we we contacted Kurt or uh, Jack Shirley too, mm. which are people that we met on tour, like when we played with Comadre, for example, uh, and uh, and uh, and because it was like, oh, it's interesting to work with other people, but like the main thing being LPs for us, we were like, no, we keep this at home. We, we don't, we don't really feel like right. recording with anyone else. I love that. That's, I mean, that's awesome. It's, it, it's like giving back. It's, it's uh it's an expression. It's, it's all of those things. Um, this new record has been done for a, a, a while, right? Yeah. Like a real, <laughs> like, I, I mean, I feel like you, you shared the record with me probably at least it has to have been a year ago by this point for yeah, sure. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think I sent it to you after the mix was done. So yeah, something like that. I mean, it's an incredible record. It's it's um 
I think I, I would go as far as to say I was I, I said some about it recently, but I would go as far as to say it's like my favorite birds record. Like oh. I, I feel like it's like everything that you your band has done since the beginning, but like such a fully realized thing. And it's funny to say that sometimes because you hear, you know, a, you hear a record like we already lost the world or, or something like that. And you're like, you, you don't think that there's anything maybe missing, you know, because it's like, <laughs> oh, this is this is a bird's record. But yeah, this new album, not only does it just sound incredible, but I feel like the songs are just unreal. Your voice is so good on it. Thank like you. All, all of these sorts of things. So um, how excited are you for this to finally be out? It's, it's, it's that weird, like mixed feeling about, you know, for, I've listened to that record a bunch of times because we had actually to remix it and remaster it because we were not happy with the, the way it sounded because everything everything about the recording process was hard. Like we broke all our gear during the recording process. The mixing was just super hard. And and because we had so much time to think about it after that, because we, we were there was not no tour ahead. Yeah. We course. were like, okay, let's actually like remix it and remaster it and we will be more happy with it. Yeah. Um, so for the first time, it was not Amory mixing the record. It's uh, Magnus Lindberg from uh, Cult of Luna oh, cool. that mixed and mastered the um, the, the record, and um, and so I listened to it way more than I would do normally. Yeah, and so I'm kind of like I'm not fed up with it at all, but it's just I can't wait for it to actually live on tour. Exactly. And I don't know. I, 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 I'm I'm guessing you would have the same feeling than me about that. But for me, a song only exists through the person that listens to it. Mm, yes. So when someone comes to you and and is like, you know, this song means this for me, that, and I, I love the record, blah blah blah. That's when the record starts to live for me, and um, I, and when you start enjoying it as, uh, as well. Yeah, I, uh, it's a thing that's come up a couple times. We haven't talked. I haven't talked about it in a minute, but like I, I, I re- because since the last one, I really, really feel this way where um, I feel like an album has four different lifespans. It's mm-hmm. like when you start to write the record, that's its first lifespan. When you record it, that's its second lifespan. <laughs> uh, when strangers get to hear it for the first time, that's that's when it really starts to become a rec- like become mm-hmm. a, a living thing. Mm. that then when you start playing it live and then you see how it has translated to people and how and then also you realize the subtleties that start to change in the songs that you wrote maybe i don't know if you're like me but like you start saying lines in a little bit of a different place or Mm -hmm. like or like how you um maybe you sing a part harder or softer or you change the word just a little bit, you know, like these sorts of things. It's like, it takes on now a new life because you're living in it a lot more. Yeah. You, you, you would, you should actually re record the, the whole album after the couple first tours we did with it. You, you <laughs> right. did with it because that's when actually you played better. <laughs> totally. <laughs> you know? I remember, so. I remember Jake, uh, Jake Bannon telling me when we started working with death wish that, um, the reason that Jane Doe, he, th- I, I remember, I feel like he said like the reason he thinks that Jane Doe was as, as successful as it was, was because they had been playing those songs live mm. for like two years before they That's recorded crazy. the record. So like they had lived in those songs mm. so many times that like, yeah, by the time they went in, it was just like, oh, these are exactly how these songs were supposed to be. It's funny because that's something we started to talk about that. Maybe we should like, you know, write songs a bit more often and not just be like, okay, we need a new record. Let's 
start in the writing let, let's start a writing process and and be like okay we have a new song we're gonna try it tonight and and you know see how the people respond to it and and you know like how we feel playing it live um and and i think that's a good way to approach um your new music because that's bands like us we play music for you know live shows yes yeah. uh, i don't feel like we're um, a record band really uh, we're not a studio band um Everything that we record, we record it live, except for the vocals, maybe. Yeah. But but like, all, everything you hear, like even more on the new record, because there's no second guitar or whatever. Everything is just live, and um, and and because and that's where you find your own energy. I feel uh, as a punk band, you know, you don't want to, you don't want to break this. I guess like that, that's that's the way we feel at least. Maybe I'm just too shitty to no, <laughs> to record, I, you know, track by track. <laughs> no, no, no. I no, I completely get what you're saying. So yeah, if 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 you feel comfortable with your songs live already because you played them on tour, then when you come in the studio, you're just so ready for Prepared, it. Uh, yeah. Um, I'd be remiss to not talk uh, briefly about your tattoo stuff um, mm. before we before we get to the last question. Um, sure. When did you realize that you were interested in doing this uh, to, to even becoming a tattoo artist? Like, was it something that you were working towards, like when you were starting to play in the older band, or or is this something that came to fruition once Birds was going? No, it's, it was. So it was kind of a weird thing where um, I discovered tattooing. Uh, because my the guitar guitar player of my like Sling sixty nine band uh, got tattooed and it was like oh yeah I got tattooed by this new tattoo artist in town you should come and and and, and see the next session you know it's uh, it's so cool blah 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 it's so yeah. punk rock <laughs> and and uh, and our friend like uh, she was very welcome welcoming to us and uh, and she was all about punk rock and metal uh, the 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 piercing guy was also. You know this older dude that would know everything about Shelter, One Way, like mm-hmm. all those like bands yeah. that I had never heard about. So it was, I started like hang out there, way more often, and and at some point when I started Birds in Row and I had finished my um, my uh, exams and stuff, I had nothing else to do than just you know be there. Yeah. <laughs> so I went I went to the almost every day to the tattoo shop and just talk with my friends and blah blah blah, and ended up. They ended up like taking me to tattoo conventions and stuff. So I I started like learning more about um, to learn more about the the tattoo industry, and without realizing it, I I, I started like n- knowing a lot more than what I expected about this industry. And and because I was always drawing, I was drawing like shirts for bands and and you know artwork and stuff. I was a very shitty. <laughs> I was very shitty before doing my tattoo up on sideship, but I was still like doing that. Yeah. Uh, at some point, my at the beginning of Birds in Row, my um, uh, my girlfriend at the time was like, "It's weird that you never thought about becoming a tattoo artist because she she was into tattoo the tattoo industry too. She had a lot of friends in this industry and stuff. And then she was like, "It's weird because you're always at the tattoo shop. You know a lot of things about the industry. You love this industry. Obviously, you're you're getting tattooed a lot and and uh, and you never thought about becoming a, a tattoo artist. And it was like, no, because I, d- I didn't know it was just something you could decide to become. <laughs> sure. I had no fucking clue how to do that. So at some point, because Birds in Row was never meant to become a job for us, I was like, okay, I need to make money because I can't work for companies. I'm not fit to do that. Uh, everything I can do is play music, but basically, and, uh, and draw stuff. So I, I went to see my tattoo friend 
And I was like, okay, I've got something to ask. Like, I think the only thing I want to do in my life that is not music is tattooing. Uh, and for that, I need an apprenticeship, but I know you don't want to take apprentices. So yeah. <laughs> would you do like a, you know, an exception for me? And she was like, oh, fuck. Uh-huh. <laughs> like, when, when do you want to start? I was like, tomorrow. Okay, so see you tomorrow. And I started just like this. And, and the weird thing is that my girlfriend broke up uh, with me uh, at this time. And I went into my first depression and he actually helped me uh, work so hard on my, my apprenticeship. Uh, my drawing level just like escalated so quickly and I, 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 I became like a way better artist than, than what I was in, at the beginning. Uh, and then I realized that I was working way too much and I was not healthy. <laughs> oh, really? But And now music is my job too yeah right <laughs> so, so i'm kind of i'm kind of screwed because i have too many jobs <laughs> what was uh it's fun to ask tattoo artists what was the first tattoo you ever gave what was the first um one? like the first real tattoo to like a customer that was not a friend was uh chinese signs okay okay <laughs> it's kind of like you know walking stuff what about the person what yeah what about what about uh like something that was in your style because you do like the, oh. the stipling style uh, uh so yeah the dot work stuff that i do comes from uh so the the girlfriend of our bassist at the time um she saw me you know drawing all the time and um and because we were like you know screen printing our shirts uh, in the screen printing process you have to turn your design into um uh, what's it called in english uh uh tone whatever which yeah. is a grade of, of of dots you know totally and it was like well i do that on photoshop usually usually but i I could try to do it, you know, just like organically with my pen and, and try to just do dot work stuff. And and so I started doing that for a shirt. And she, my friend comes and she's like, well, I love this style. Like, I would love you to give me one of them tattoos about my grand- grandfather, I think. So my first tat- like dot work tattoo was on her. Uh, and it was like a, a pipe, like a smoking pipe uh-huh. uh, that was the representing her, her grandfather like that. And uh, And then after that, I think I only drew like that because I really love the process. Like it's you have to be very committed to do this kind of uh, of tattooing of tattoos and uh, and there's also some kind of uh, weird uh, trance. You know, it puts you in a in a weird trance when you're like doing dots and dots and dots and dots yeah, and then it feels pretty good. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I was I was so lucky to uh, to have you tattoo yeah. me uh sometime before a show which is always a foolish thing to do because i feel like (laughs) i feel like you fit it like we finished uh and then i played maybe like an hour and a half later which was really funny (laughs) like the bandage did not stay on but it still looks great i mean it it, it, it (laughs) looks fucking awesome um you uh you tattooed uh phil oaks on me which yeah. is super exciting i still want i, I, I still, never heard of phil oaks before you, you you asked me for that tattoo actually yeah sure i mean yeah he's like a such an underdog he's like a very mm. like underrated underappreciated artist so mm. um i still need you to to do a uh a leonard cohen portrait on mm. the other arm that's I like love that yeah let's let's knock <laughs> let's that, that out yeah let's knock that out <laughs> Um, yeah. all right, I'm going to hit you with the last question, which is sure. when, when was the first time you felt like you were doing the thing you'd been working so hard towards? I, I've been thinking about that a lot and, uh, it's kind of hard for me to say, um, I think, you know, you, you, I, in, at the beginning I was like, obviously it's going to be the first, you know, European tour where you're like, oh yeah, I'm, I'm at the place I wanted, I always wanted to be. But like, I think at the time the band was so busy all the time that I, I didn't really, um, 
appreciate that moment as much as I should. But like, I think, I think for me, the, if it's a question about like, when was the first step where you realized that you were actually doing this and, uh, and pieces were coming together. I think it's the moment where like, I'm at home with our bassist at the time. And, uh, Matthias from Throtrunner Records, who is now Death Wish Europe, calls me and tells me, dude, fucking sit down right now. I just got a uh, an email from Jacob Bannon telling me they want to put out your record. <laughs> yeah. And I was like, you know, it, when you put everything in perspective, it's like coming from a small town in France, like France is a shithole in terms of like hardcore scene in Europe. There's not much going on here really. Or at least at the time there was not much going on. And, uh, and it, it felt so unreal that I really thought it was a joke for a month. I thought someone, someone was just like, making a prank, like a bad prank. And uh, and when, when I realized it was not a joke, I was like, whoa, dude, you're going places you were not expecting to go at all. And and I started to feel like I was in a real band <laughs> because I was on my favorite record label ever. Like, yeah. I was like, okay. So for the first time of my life, I feel like someone... Um, uh, takes what I do like, seriously, you know. They they, yeah. they they really think we're a good band, and they want to put us out. And it and everything that happened after that was a repetition of that moment where it was like, you're gonna play with Converge, you're gonna play with Touche, you're gonna do like we, I think we did like three tours together. Yeah, with Touche, and you know, me knowing Touche way before we had um, a, a, a conversation together, it was the same thing for me. Then touring with Converge, it was like. Whoa, this band that I've been listening so much and 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 you know appreciated so much and every new record I'm like blown and everything uh I'm actually on tour with them now. <laughs> I'm on tour with them because they trust us for being like a good support band and 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 cool people to hang out with. You know, so there's like this moment where like we know we're going to be on Death Wish but then after that this moment is just replicated every two months or every three months and and we keep having all those good opportunities where we're like, whoa, where, what the fuck? Like, right. You know, it's just like, in, 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 even, even, you know, today, like, I mean, like one of the last US tours we did, we got in touch with Dallas Green, that, that, that plays in Alexis on Fire, which is one of my favorite band ever. And, and City in Color being one of my favorite, like, uh, uh, I don't know, like solo project ever too. And, and you know, it's like seeing this and you're like, dude, I come from fucking Laval. <laughs> I come from Laval and I, I, I don't think I know how to play guitar at all. I still like underappreciate myself so much that seeing like the people that I, you know, like those bands, those artists that I, I look upon to so much trusting me or like telling me that what I do touches, touches them is just such a, I don't know. It's, it's more than an honor. It's really, it's really like a blast. I don't know. I don't have the vocabulary in English. I'm sorry, but no, no, I, I know what you're saying completely. And I can relate to that a hundred percent. I mean, like when, when we first got actually like told like, Hey, do you, would you do the next record on on death wish i mean i'm as i was in the same boat it's like this is my favorite hardcore label yeah. uh converge is my favorite hardcore band they've mm. put out records by bands like modern life is war like cursed like these records that changed my life i mean i know you have, have modern yeah. life is war tattoo like yeah <laughs> you know what i'm saying like we're 
Uh, so I'm in the same boat as you. Like I felt the exact mm. same way. And, you know, it is flattering to hear you say that Touche had any sort of, you know, yeah, like, significance you, for you, you like that. Like that's, that's incredibly cool. It's like, I, I can completely relate in the situations that we had, you know? You, you know, I don't want, I don't want to be like fanboying because we, we know each other for a while now. Yeah. So it's going to feel weird. But like, I remember a friend of mine telling me, because I, I was not in a lot of like internet boards at the time. And yeah. he was like very much more involved than me in that. And he was like, dude, this guy from Touche Amore talked about birds in a row on the B9 board. <laughs> and I was like, what the fuck? Like, seriously? Like, yeah. what the hell? And I remember like meeting you after that on your tour with La Dispute, I think. Oh, and okay, uh, yeah. And it, it kind of felt like, yeah, that because like my previous band had zero attention from any foreigner, you know, like yeah. it was just all French people interested in what we're doing. That now it was like, okay, so actually the U.S. are interesting are tr interested in what we do. And more than that, the bands that we love from the U.S. are interested in what we do. It, it, it really felt such like, I don't know, a huge leap, you know, <laughs> from, from what we were used to doing. So, uh, oh, that's so awesome. uh, I love that. Yeah. Well, it's, it's been a pleasure. I, uh, Always. I, you know, I, I adore you so much and it's, it was so mm -hmm. nice to getting to see you finally after all these years in a, at Hellfest yeah. a few months ago. So, <laughs> um, I hope to see you soon and uh, I'll let you get on, get on with your day love you buddy yeah love you <laughs> bye bye and that is our show thank you so much to Bart for coming on and thank you for listening Reminder, there's a bonus episode available right now where Bart answered questions that were submitted by subscribers. You can hear that now by going over to patreon.com slash the first ever Patreon. Uh, subscribe. Check out all the bonus content we've been doing. And uh, yeah, thanks for your time. Thanks for hanging out. Hope to see you uh, at the next episode. Be good. Bye bye.